Welcome to the Soul's Way podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a proud First Nations Mohawk author, speaker, and mentor here to meet you at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. I truly believe that when we see ourselves and one another, mind, body, emotion, and most of all, soul and spirit, we can break through systematic, ancestral, and generational ways of being that we came here to disrupt and rise above. We can lean into the ways that heal our spirits. I know we can do this through honest conversations, radical responsibility, and healing together in community. Through my stories and the incredible conversations with some truly amazing guests, my hope is that you leave each episode with a more open heart and that you feel emboldened in your medicine and your voice, knowing your ripple effect matters. Our ripple effect matters. Thank you for being here. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. I'm so excited, honored, nervous, jitters, all the things today. Um, Emily Ann Brandt here, by the way. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Soul's Way. So excited because I get to sit down with Syra Rao today. Oh, here she is right now. Yay. We'll bring Syra on and we're going to talk to you about this incredible book called White Women and all things and how to do better, how to do everything you already know about your own racism and how to do better. Good morning, Syra. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, of course. Such an honor. Yeah, We're so I'm excited. Yay, so welcome everyone. Um, we have a New York Times bestselling author in the house. Woohoo! I'm so excited to be able to say that. How does it feel to hear that? Is it just like so wild or what? You know, it's really wild for a bunch of reasons. Um, first of all, we've gotten zero um, mainstream media around this book, but for Essence. Essence is right. a black thank magazine. Um, so yeah, thank you, Essence. But going in, you know, we got um, like every possible glowing trade review, including a Kirkestard review, which is like the holy grail. We got celebrity white women, you know, blurbers. We had Chelsea Handler, Anna Paquin, and then like crickets you know, crickets and even penguin themselves, they were like, this doesn't happen. This is nuts, you know? And then, and, um, and I'm going to talk about this later, not here, but I just got to get my thoughts in order. In certain cases, we did get, um, you know, approached to do op-eds and interviews. We wrote them, free labor by black and brown women. Um, and then we got ghosted. We got ghosted by the editors. Um, in one case with a mas massive global network, television um, network, the producers killed it because it said it didn't reach their journalistic standards. So like full global institutional nope. And what happened was uh, our our own, we, we do a lot of in real life work. We have a mm -hmm. massive network. Like it's not, we don't, we're not a social media company, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's our people that we've been working with for years who bought it in droves early on. And in the first week, people read it in like the first day and started posting about it and sharing about it. And um, it's just gone viral. I mean, we actually like it in sort of the good old fashioned way. And so in yeah. terms of the moniker, you know, New York Times bestseller, look, 
Yeah, that's like saying I went to Harvard or like I went to UVA. Like this is white supremacy pedigree. Who the mm -hmm. fuck cares, right? Mm -hmm. But what it does do is it gives white people permission to actually read this and be like, well, okay, it's not like I'm not crazy for wanting to read it and like it because the New York Times, you know? So that's what we're excited about. It's going to give us the ability to get in front of a ton more people and spread the message. Yes, exactly. It's the huge impact that's happening. I've been just so excited screaming and cheering every single time I see it doing well and people sharing it because I really want every single white woman to read this. It is so good. Um, I see lots of comments here that people have already read the book. Amazing. Keep sharing it. Um, but for those of you who don't know Syra yet, for the few of you that might be new to Syra and her work, um, Syra is an absolute powerhouse in, in anti-racism work, a political activist, um, co-creator of an initiative called Race to Dinner um, with Regina Jackson, executive producer, and I guess you could say like co-star or star of subject, the documentary. Subject, <laughs> subject. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of this amazing documentary called Deconstructing Karen. Um, I am in Canada, so I had the opportunity to watch it on CBC Gem. That's where you can find it if you're in Canada. And it's coming this month in the US. So we'll get Syra to share about that. It's a must watch. Um, and it's one of their dinners uh, aired, filmed and, and shown on this documentary where they sit down with white women and it's so, so good. Um, it's frustrating and also like so powerful all at once um and then obviously co-author of this incredible book white women everything you already know about your racism and how to do better um so congrats again on all your thank amazing you. work syra and thanks again for being here do you want yeah. to say anything um in your own words about the work you're doing sure um so you know regina's my partner uh regina's black she lives in denver i used to live in denver i've moved back to um virginia where i'm originally from and even though I've been told to go back to my country all the time, this turns out that this is my country, for better or for worse. And um, we have dinners, literal dinners with white women. So sort of the breakdown is um, eight to 10 white women and the two of us. And it's important that it's a black woman and a model minority, because what we're showing is that we are together. We are not, you know, you're, you're not going to use us to pit each other against each other, which is what has happened, uh, you know, centuries long. Let's pit all the different black and brown indigenous groups against each other so we win. We're not doing that. Um, and we have we, we talk about these white women's racism. We also talk about mine. So I am a non-black person of color and I have been institutionalized to be anti-black just like everybody else. So <laughs> we're not here throwing stones at white people and not taking personal accountability and recognizing where we sit you know, in the ecosystem of power and we have dinners. And so I think that sort of the most interesting macro takeaway from this for me has been the sheer amount of right wing press. So the, the quote mainstream press has no interest in us, right? None. So CNN, MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. The right wing press has a ton of interest in us. So they just talk all kinds of smack. They drag us all over the place. Why? Mm -hmm. They don't care about Regina and I. We are nobodies. We are like nameless, faceless, black and brown people in the Midwest, right? It's white women. So the fact that white women are actually doing this work and actually making an attempt to dismantle their own white supremacy and stop caping for whiteness and join intersectional gender solidarity, if that happens in droves, if that happens in droves, the whole systems of oppression fall apart. Mm -hmm. fall apart so mm -hmm. why do we focus on white women because white women have a ton of power 
white women have the same exact white power as white men. And if white women, they can use it for good or evil. And we, what we've seen traditionally, even this past election, is they use it for evil. So stop, stop doing that. And then we can all get free. We can all get free. And so that's the, that's the concern. So why is it that we've been boxed out? It's because MSNBC and Fox News institutionally have the same desire to uphold white supremacy. You look at who's running MSNBC and CNN and mm -hmm. the Washington Post and New York Times, it's the same people as who are running Fox News. It's the same people. Who's in leadership in both parties? It's the same people. So this whole like notion of like the Democrats are good and the Republicans are bad and Fox News is bad and CNN is good, it's all the same. And it's all upholding white supremacy and misogyny, period. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, period. Um, <clears throat> thank you for, that was gonna be my first question is like, why white women? Because I know, especially in my world, like I'm in the coaching world, the female empowerment world, right? Life coaching, spirituality, and so many women think that, <laughs> so many women think that white men are the enemy and they're the problem and they're so, and you talk about this so much in the book and, and this topic of white feminism, but they think like, that's the enemy, screw the patriarchy. And they think they're, I think they truly believe that they're helping women, but they're simultaneously oppressing black, brown, and, and indigenous women. Um, so thank you for touching on that. And can I read a little excerpt? Oh, from yeah, please. Yeah, please. Okay. So, and we'll talk about the life coaching <laughs> wellness industry in a second specifically, but I love this part here in the book where you said, don't do this with white women. Stop denying, stop deflecting, stop erasing, stop bright-siding everything. The only people served by bright-siding racism are you white folks. You commit the harm and then expect us to see the good in it. Toxic positivity not only calls for the erasure of our harm, uh, erasure of our reality, but is truly evil for the way in which it implies that we, black, indigenous, and brown women are somehow bad, lesser, or weaker because we refuse to deny or erase our own pain. And when I read that, I actually started crying because I'm like, that's exactly what has happened to me in this industry, especially of, of this coaching and spirituality and empowerment industry where there's so much of that toxic positivity and that we're, I'm made to feel like something's wrong with me as an indigenous woman if I can't just you know, get over it or if I can't just tap into my personal power and their magical program isn't, isn't working for me because they're failing to address these, these deeper issues that are everywhere. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, um, Emily, a big piece of this, which has been so rewarding, I think Regina and I would both say, the most rewarding has been Black, Indigenous, and Brown women who have, I mean, if our DMs are, you know, our emails, it's just filled with this, these stories of like, thank you, every single thing that we're, every anecdote we're reading, we have experienced. So a lot of people have used the words ungaslit. I feel like I'm being ungaslit, you know? And so that's great. Like, that's why we, we, we really want to get this into the hands of, of every white woman, but more importantly, into every woman of color's hands, because we need it. You know, we need it. And I think the other thing here, which is really interesting and why I'm so happy more people are reading the book because it is not what people think it is. Like I just did a podcast last week with a white woman who um, literally said she saw the book and was offended by the title, offended by the title, started reading it, had to put it down repeatedly. 
and she had invited me to come on to her podcast, right? And she said, I have to read it if I'm going to do this podcast. And she said she was probably about 40 pages in and was and had this like epiphany and was like, oh my God, this is not, this is not a work of hate. This is a work of profound love and compassion and hope. She's now read it twice. And she says she's carrying it around everywhere and just opening it up and reading lines. And this is someone who was a hater. This is someone who is a complete hater who thought we were going to have one conversation on this podcast and we had a very different conversation. And so I think the um, back to the New York Times moniker, it's it's giving people license to say, OK, I'm going to actually not make fun of this. I'm going to I'm going to read this like Anna Paquin's blurb is read it with an open mind. Frederick uh, Joseph's blurb was read it with an open mind and heart. And maybe this could actually help change things is this fake false binary that racist bad, anti-racist good, sexist bad, you know, anti-sexist good. All white people are racist. Mm -hmm. All non-black people of color are anti-black. Mm -hmm. All men are sexist. My son is 12 and he and I have a conversation every day about unearned male privilege. Every day. He understands. It's not complicated. We'd say it's complicated. It's not complicated. He also doesn't feel bad about it. He's not guilty. This whole like, oh, you're making him feel bad. No, he understands his power as a boy over the power or lack of power of his sister and to use it wisely. So if we can debunk this myth, these false binaries, we can get somewhere. You, you become bad if you're unwilling to acknowledge it. If you're unwilling to look at it, then you're bad. I, I would be willing to say that then you're bad because then you're actively upholding your white power and you're actively upholding your male power. Yes, exactly. It's not the having of the privilege that makes you automatically bad. It's what you do with it. Um, and so that's what that's what I love about this book is you're really just it's it is a work of love and it is just a call to action for for white women specifically to use the power that they do have and to stop seeing everything just through a gender lens and pretending that they don't have power or acting like they don't have power just because um, they are women. Um, and there's an amazing quote in here from what you and Regina, who you and Regina refer to as your resident white woman. Yeah. Which I just love. I love that you're like, <laughs> here's our token white woman. Yeah. Um, Lisa we're Vaughn, not, so we're not racist. We have white friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Look, here's my you know, white friend. And she says this. Um, it's so great. Um, so she has a lot of great quotes in the book and one of them on um, white life coaching. So she says, so much of white life coaching, self-help, wellness industry requires that white women feel inadequate within the current system, current systems. It relies on our being oppressed, but doesn't allow us to see the way in which we oppress. These programs, if not centered in abolition and decolonization, rely heavily on the trauma of white supremacy culture and reactivate it with more white supremacy. So can we unpack what does Lisa mean about uh, by white trauma of white supremacy culture? Why don't, why don't you tell me what you think? Like having read it and, and you working in this industry, I would love to hear what you think. Sure. Yeah, so having read it and having been in this industry for the last three plus years, working as a coach, been in the personal development industry for the last decade though, um, to me the trauma of white supremacy culture is this impossible strive for perfection which doesn't even exist and this constant competition this constant um toxic individ individuality as you explained so well in the book and 
um, a lot of the book was eye-opening for me just to see like how specifically this white supremacy really does, which I already knew, but it took me deeper in the book, how much it really does play out in the coaching industry and this personal development, this self-growth, right? Personal development, me, me, me. And it's all about, like I say this all the time to people who want to work with me to decolonize their business is that a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we left the we thought we left the rat race, right? Mm -hmm. We got out of corporate so that we could get out of that toxic white supremacy, colonial um, capitalistic culture and do our own thing and screw the man and, and exit this rat race. But then it turned into a same rats, different race. Yeah. And now it's like, who can have the 10 K months the fastest, who can crack six figures the fastest, who can heal themselves, you know, the fastest and shine the brightest. And it's that, it's that competitive, harm because it's so indoctrinated indoctrinated into us we can't escape it unless we're actively unraveling it and doing our work um every single day and for life because it's a lifelong process so that that's what it means to me um but yeah what about what about yeah. you, I hear from you well so i want to back to being radically honest what we're doing right here is part of it too so right. what we're doing what i'm doing talking all over town about being a new york times bestseller is part of that too so it's constantly look at me, look at me, social media. How many followers do, do I have? How many people I'm watching? How many people have joined this, this IG live? Every single thing that we do is a hustle and it's never enough. That's the whole point is it's never, ever enough, right? Because if everything is about individual, um, you know, stamps of approval, individual certificates, individual, I got this, I got this, I went to this college, I got this award, I, you know, whatever it's never enough because somebody else is going to do better than is going to have more. So you're right. It's same race, different rats. It doesn't matter if you go to the nonprofit world. It doesn't matter if you work on wall street. It doesn't matter if you're running for Congress or city council, it is all the same because it is America that is, or Canada, you know, like it's the same nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's the same nonsense. So the individualism piece, what has been, and I, and we have this in the book and, um, and for everybody, you know, like, please, please, please back to like, you know, get the book, but also definitely watch the movie when it comes out in the US um, next week. Uh, what we'll say at all of our dinners is, um, okay, by the end of the dinner, and when you guys watch the movie, you'll see how many, like, sort of the reaction at the end, like, a lot of the women don't love us, we'll put it that way, at the end of the at the end of our actual dinners. And we'll always say, okay, who do you, you're not feeling really like the love towards us right now. But who do you dislike? more than you dislike us in this moment and it's always at least one woman will have this bulb go off and will raise her hand and she'll say us and each other you know so white women are in the death the competition with each other you all hate yourselves and you hate each other you hate yourselves and you hate each other and there's no way and and you inflict harm on yourselves you inflict harm on each other and all of all of it is harm on those of us beneath you which is all black indigenous and brown people right so our sincere begging is to stop stop this like nonsense of perfection that's the hustle for the wellness industry like you know lots of america's turned in, in wealthy parts of america has turned in like disneyland for white women right pure bar berry's boot camp green juice everything is to make you as thin and as fit as possible and these classes cost like 50 dollars a pop 
these juices cost like $20. So it's money, money, money to make you feel like complete shit. So you see 50 year old women walking around like skeletons, like they haven't eaten in, in decades. We've had multiple white women say that doing our dinners and our race to community program is the first thing that's helped them kick their eating disorders because it's about perfection, 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 perfection. So that's like, that's the grift. And what's funny is these media outlets calling Regina and I race grifters. We are race grifters. White people came here, killed indigenous people, stole their land, kidnapped and enslaved and murdered black people and built an entire economy on the backs of black people. And then it's a whole, you know, rinse cycle of Chinese Exclusion Act, Operation Wetback, Department of Homeland Security, Muslim bans, and we're the grifters for calling it out? That is some shit. That is some shit. And we consciously decided to drop this movie on, quote, Thanksgiving Day in this country. Thanksgiving Day is a perfect example of white America's massive grift. What was, what was the relations between white colonizers, or we call them settlers here, Right, like mm -hmm. that's such a kind, gen, you know, they're genocide, they're they're mass murderers, and the yeah. indigenous people, they killed indigenous people off and stole their land. And how have we rewritten that as a white savior holiday, yeah. where like all the wonderful white people invited the Indians to have like pumpkin pie and turkey? Like mm -hmm. that is some shit right there. And I'll tell you what, Emily, in the next week. We, we, there's another mass shooting that happened overnight at my alma mater, UVA, another mass shooting. I had coffee with a teacher here in Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia yesterday, who said last week, two kids, they busted with guns and they've had like six or seven lockdowns since they've started. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna have any conversations in the media about gun violence or white supremacy or the fact that even more white women voted for Republicans this past election. We're gonna be talking about what's your favorite turkey recipe? What is your favorite pumpkin pie recipe? And that in a nutshell. And then we're saying that Russia and Putin are propaganda machines. So are we, so is Canada. It's all the same. Absolutely. And I love that. I, I didn't realize that that was um, intentional with the date of the documentary coming out in the US. So that's incredible. Um, just love what you're doing to disrupt the world, really. It's, it's awesome. Um, something I was curious about too, this is kind of like a bonus question for you, I guess, is how do you stay grounded or do you stay grounded in the middle of doing this work? Because I know you must be getting a ton of support and love and all of that excitement, like you said, um, the New York Times, the, the book taking off despite all odds, but also I'm sure that you get a lot of hate and a lot of people clearly not wanting this work to get out there. And sometimes it can feel every day actually it probably can feel like a threat to your you and your family's safety so how do you kind of navigate that so yeah i mean tons and tons of i mean the amount of stuff that comes into our email and by the way our resident white woman is the one who fields all the emails and very rarely does she get daunted but it was after fox news did a five minute primetime hit piece on us last month where she called me and she was like um it feels like it's too much. Like it's actually the stuff that's being said about you all. And she, you know, was on John Stewart. And so she's become a, a, a target as well. So the stuff that comes in about all Regina, Lisa, and I is vile. 
But here's the reality is none of us are safe. We wouldn't be safe if we weren't speaking. So I think part of the great con, um, it, you know, because by design and by choice, we don't know our own history. Silence doesn't save you. Silence has never saved you. So you can either speak up or you and, and be attacked or you can be silent and you can be attacked. And I, I was silent for decades and I choose not to be that anymore. How do I say, stay sane? You know what, Emily, I lived the life and I talk about this in uh, the book a lot. I was a white feminist for many years. I did all of it, right? I went to private school in Richmond. I was a captain of everything. I, I had friends who called me exotic um, and I went to UVA. I joined a white sorority, all this stuff, right? All of it. And it didn't make me free. And the white women who were my closest friends were not my friends. They were not my community because we were always competing against each other. That, mm -hmm. like, and I was always at the bottom because I couldn't compete because I had brown skin. So, you know, I, I had no chance of being perfect. They all, you know, it's like a mini hunger games anytime we were together. And now um, I actually have community. I mean, I have community. I have people who I truly trust with my life. And that's, feels good. It feels great. I don't have nonsense in my life. I mean, I have a lot of, I mean, we all have nonsense in our life, right? But like, um, I don't spend time with people that I don't feel deeply connected with and yeah. deeply connected to. There's no more fake socializing. I don't get, in, I don't get invited to nonsense parties, which is awesome. I really appreciate not going to nonsense parties. Oh my God, what are you doing? How are you? How are you? Like, I don't do any of that anymore. Right. Um, so I feel pretty great. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life, to be honest with you, because I'm living a real life instead of a fake white life. Uh, thank you for sharing that. that I love that. Um, that's so beautiful to hear. It's very inspiring for me to hear as well, because, you know, I'm newer to this, to, to this work openly, openly addressing um, and calling out the racism in the coaching industry and how it needs to be decolonized. And there are some days where my nervous system is just like, ah, oh, you're not safe because there's so much trauma that literally gets stored in our bones, in our totally. cells, and that gets reactivated with the, like one comment or one message. And so um, it's really awesome to hear you say that. And you're right, like I wasn't safe before and the silence sure didn't help me. Yeah. It yeah. did the total opposite. And I love yeah. how, how openly you talk about like how you were a white feminist and that really helped give me permission to own to own my past as well and say yeah i was a i was a white you know spiritual bypassing coach i was and it's even easier for me was easier for me to lean into that because i am white passing and i am halfway and it just got so much easier as i started i started experiencing racism as young as like six and seven years old yeah um so i went to school on, the, on a first nations reserve but then we would meet up with other schools and the children as young as six and seven years old would make racist jokes and comments and remarks and their teachers would join in. Of course. Um, so it became, and when I went to high school and college and, and then started working, it just became so much easier to deny that part of myself and to assimilate and to lean hard into my whiteness. And right. then also right. was like one of those love and light coaches telling people like, no, we're all one, just focus yeah. on your power. We all have the same power. We all have access to, you know, choosing our beliefs, choosing our mindset. But then I couldn't deny this something deeper, like it wasn't fully clicking. And that's because I was denying the healing that needed to be done from addressing all the racism, all the oppression, all the, the ancestral pain I'm carrying in my bones, in my DNA. And, and when I tried to bring it up in white spaces that I paid a lot of money to be in, it was completely shut down and ignored and bypassed. 
And that's when I was like, okay, someone needs to speak out about this and fix it. And if not me, then who? Um, but thank you for being such a huge inspiration to me because that's, and that's all really, really, um, uplifting and empowering to hear you say that. So thank you so much. And I gotta go, but I just, a couple, I've seen a bunch of people ask about the movie. Yes. Um, The movie will come out on November 24th, um, globally, except for Canada. It's already out in Canada. The longer version is going to be out globally. So you saw the abridged version, um, Emily. So definitely watch the longer version. Um, It's going to be uh, video on demand VOD. It's going to be iTunes and Vimeo. And so follow um, either me or Anne Race to Dinner on IG. You'll see um, news about when that's going to, like the sort of specifics about that. And sincere ask, please buy the book please read the book. The only way we're going to keep getting this out is, um, is by buying reading. And for those of you who are already in a bunch of people say they're in the process of reading it or reading it, please, please, please post about it. You know, like Emily did, please a picture of you with the book, um, post about it, tag people, leave reviews on Amazon, leave, leave reviews on Goodreads. The only way we do the end run around the institutional, um, gatekeepers or the institutional white supremacists, I should say, gatekeepers is a nice word, is through word of mouth. So please keep it going. Really appreciate it. Yes. And I just want to share super quick. I'm doing a giveaway too. I want to give away um, a paperback copy of this book. So I will play, I will post this replay on my profile on my IGTV. Um, and for everyone who shares it and tags me and tags Tyra as well, um, you're going to get an entry into the draw. And then if you comment on the replay with your biggest takeaway from this conversation, you'll get a bonus entry into that draw as well, um, just to help spread spread the book around a little bit. So we have an exciting giveaway. Um, and yes, again, the book's called White Women. The documentary is called Deconstructing Karen. Follow uh, Race to the Number Dinner on Instagram for all the updates there and at Deconstructing Karen as well. Um, so thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sarah, so much. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks again so much for being here. It really does mean the world. And one way that you can thank me, that you can thank any podcaster, if you get any value from my medicine, from my shares, from anything our guests have shared, the biggest way you can thank a podcaster is by sharing. So take a screenshot, tag me at Emily Ann Brandt on your Instagram stories. I'll be sure to reshare and thank you. And better yet, if you have just a minute, take a minute leave a review or even tap and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It means the world. It helps us reach more people and get this medicine out there. Thank you again for being here. Please hang out with me on Instagram or come join our Facebook group, The Soul's Way. I'll talk to you next time. Love and gratitude.